0: This is episode number 68 with Vishen Lakiani of The Founder Podcast.
1: What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning? It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. 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 now, the Founder Podcast, even the greatest entrepreneurs had help.
0: and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Founder Podcast. My name is Nathan Chan. And I am your host coming to you live from Melbourne, Australia. I just had to say it slow to mix things up because I'm doing these recordings in batches. And uh, yeah, I just can't do this robot thing, all right? <laughs> okay, so today's guest, his name is Vision Lakiani, and he's the CEO and founder of a company called Mind Valley. And these guys are doing amazing stuff. I, I look up to this company because not only have they built an amazing culture within their workplace, but they've also built an amazing company that produces such amazing products and services and courses, you name it. And, and they're very, very cool. They're doing very, very cool stuff. And I, I look up to them a lot for the stuff that they're doing and to be honest, we're, we're I'm trying to take a, a piece out of their book for Founder, especially around the stuff they're doing uh, with their online courses, the way they position themselves, they're very, very good and I think one of the reasons they are so good is because they have such an amazing team. Just a little example. They get thousands and thousands of people to create all sorts of crazy YouTube videos, just so they could potentially get a job at Mind Valley because it's, you know, it's it's like one of the best places to work in the world. They've won a whole ton of awards, and Vision goes in depth on what it takes to build an amazing culture. So we talk everything culture hacking, and this is something that I'm going through right now within the founder business, is. You no, know, we're starting to scale up and build our team, and it's less about like me doing the work, me getting the stuff done, and now it's more about how do I build an amazing company, not only from the outside but also from the inside and an amazing culture. So yeah, these are things that I'm going through right now. So I've found a ton of value from speaking with Vision. Uh, he's just an absolute superstar absolute weapon this guy's crushing it really excited to show you this episode that's it from me hope you're all having a great day thank you so much for taking the time now let's jump into the show so I'm going to ask you the same question I ask every single one of our guests and that is how did you get your job
1: how did I get my job well it started actually with with being miserable at my job so way back in 2002 I was a sales director for a company in Silicon Valley, and uh, was going through incredible growth, and I was learning a ton. Now, actually, you know what, Nathan, I'm going to backtrack a bit. Yeah. Back in 2002, yeah. I actually lost all my savings trying to start a company in Silicon Valley. My timing was off, and um, it was sorry, it was 2001. The dot com bubble had burst. I remember in April 2001, 14,000 people got laid off in the valley alone, and. You know, I didn't just get laid off. I lost my company, lost all my savings, was thirty grand in the hole. This was the days before 500 startups or any of those like incubators where any kid with a good idea could get a decent amount of seed funding. Mm. So I remember being completely broke, driving a beat up car. I couldn't even afford an apartment. So I rented a couch from a student in Berkeley and my home was actually a single dirty couch. It was sad that I was a graduate having to rent a couch from a sophomore. Now, what happened was I ended up getting a dead-end job in Silicon Valley, in San Francisco, selling technology to lawyers. And it was a really tough job because I was a computer engineer. I knew nothing about law. I knew nothing about sales. I did know technology, but that was about it. To cope with the stresses of the job, my you know the job was crazy stressful. And because the economy was so bad, they wouldn't even pay... A starting salary. If you did not close a sale, you got paid nothing. So what happened was I started Googling online and I found this class on meditation. So I'm like, okay, well, this looks cool. It appears that this will help me deal with my stress. And that class transformed me. I remember getting back to work after taking that class. And not only was I approaching my job with so much less stress, but my performance doubled. I had like a, a sales week where I was double over my usual performance. But here's the funny thing. It wasn't an aberration. The next week, once again, I had a record sales week. The next week, once again. And in four months, between May and September 2002, I got promoted three times. They made me director of sales, even though I was 26 years old and had been in sales collectively nine months. Now, here's what was going on. As I was practicing meditation, I noticed a couple of really interesting things. One is, I found that I could connect with the people better on phone. It's as if I would know the right things to say at the right time. And I also found that I seemed to have an intuition about what to say, which uh, legal firm to call. It was just uncanny. But as a result, my sales closing rate went up. And I became one of their top salespeople. Now, I stayed with that company for about a year and a half following that. And my career continued to soar. But after a while, I just grew dissatisfied. And I wanted to think, what could I do? So I remembered meditation and the amazing impact it had on me. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool if I figured out a way to get this beautiful science, this beautiful art form, practice out to the world. Now, Google had just launched Google AdWords at that time. Mm-hmm. So I put up I put a simple website. I, I, Being a computer engineer, I had fun writing my own checkout scripts and all of these things. So it was really a way to just code and, and share my passion and that little website grew and grew and grew and became Mindvalley. And today we have about a million plus subscribers, 300,000 paying students, 150 employees, and uh, we've evolved into a company teaching people and sharing courses from some 200 premium authors on personal growth.
0: Yeah, wow. Look, I'm a massive fan of Mindvalley. What you've created this is a bootstrap startup and there's a lot I'd like to unpack, but I really want to focus on this culture stuff because you've built an amazing organization, amazing people behind this organization. And and the kind of people that you're attracting and the the talent and the way you're attracting this talent is really, really interesting. And a lot of our audience are, you know, aspiring or novice stage entrepreneurs. So I'd like to touch on, you know, your I know you've got a lot of best practices, but maybe you're like top three. We could break them down. And somebody that's just starting a company, what are the sorts of things that they can do to enforce this amazing culture like you have at Valley?
1: Well, the first thing is, so a lot of people think culture is about refrigerators stocked with food or fancy offices. That's not culture. Those are perks. Culture is an underlying set of beliefs and habits that your people possess. And these beliefs and habits are what define who you are. If you have more people with healthy beliefs and healthy habits, the greater your culture. That's really it. Culture is the summation of human beliefs and habits. Now, as people get into tribes or companies or villages, beliefs and habits start to coalesce. And we tend to take on beliefs and habits from each other. And this is why culture hacking is so important. You want to make sure that you are refining the beliefs and the habits of your tribe, of your company. Let me give you an example, okay? The human tendency to be part of a tribe, the human desire to belong is so strong that we will blindly follow whatever the tribe says. And this is why, you know, some people might decide that they want to, that, that they are really, really, really aligned with the mission of a particular political party. And they'll take on the good things about the beliefs of these political parties, but they'll also take on the really dumb ideas, such as, say, intolerance towards gay marriage or denial of global warming. So a desire to belong will force us to take on the beliefs of the tribe. This is why facilitating the right beliefs is really important. So the first practice you've got to do is you have to define your beliefs. Now, what we do at Mind Valley is every four to five years, we bring our team together and we have them write down on a piece of paper 10 things they believe deep down in their hearts to be true about what and who we are as a company. Now we take these 10 ideas from hundreds plus employees and we categorize them into different buckets. So one bucket might be around learning and the philosophy of learning and growth. Another bucket might be around happiness. Another bucket might be around servicing the customer. Now, these 10 buckets, sorry, we, we may end up with 15, 20, 30 buckets, but we pick the 10 buckets with the most ideas from people, the most collective ideas, and this becomes our code of awesomeness. We did this for the first time in 2008. We did it again last year. The surprising thing was, it means seven years later, the code had not changed. And the code contains ideals such as turn customers into raving fans. We... Are positive and passionate. We celebrate life. We evolve through learning. This is the Mind Valley Code of Awesomeness. And I can also always send you an image that you can stick. Now, the code is really important. This value system isn't just something that you stick on your walls as a decorative piece, it becomes a decision making mechanism. For example, we had a situation recently where our marketing people. Wanted to create a an upsell system on our checkout. So you buy a product, it recommends another product, then it recommends another product, then it recommends another product. Obviously, this would boost revenue. But our customer support team felt that that would be a lot against our code, turn customers into raving bands because they were like, after your second or third recommendation, boy, it's going to get annoying. So, guess which team won? The team that spoke in alignment with the code. And instantly, the marketing team had to give way because they were reminded that this is our shared code. The code helps you make decisions faster. The code helps protect your values. The code helps you decide who to keep in the company and who to reject from the company. And when you get the code right, it can lead to tremendous gains. I remember one of the key elements in our code, let's go back to that idea, mm-hmm. turn customers into fans. It became such a mantra within our company that last year we won an award as one of the top 10 best customer service teams in the world, according to Nice Reply, which ranks agents. And we are known for stellar customer support because that is part of our code. Now, that has become our competitive edge, and that actually helps us has helped us increase our customer lifetime value, the number of people who buy from us. So this isn't just fluffy stuff. It facilitates decision-making. It helps govern your business strategy. It helps you figure out your competitive edge. So the first thing is get your team together, figure out a code.
0: Mm, Love it. And would you call these beliefs pretty much your values?
1: Yes, they are your values. Now, your code helps... So your values are what you believe to be important. That's how you can position it. But there are other beliefs. So like I said, right, culture is beliefs plus habits. Mm -hmm. Your code helps facilitate both. When we say turn customers into raving fans, that, number one, establishes a belief. Customer service is important. But it also helps establish habits, habits of personalized emails to every customer. Habits such as all emails that come in, ideally, we want to answer within 24 hours. All of those become habits. So you see, your values help your culture because they help you shape the right habits and the right beliefs.
0: Awesome. Now, this is great. Now, question, can your beliefs change over time? Because like, I know sometimes somebody might start a company, but they might change. Like-
1: Absolutely. So, so here's the funny thing about human beings, right? a lot of us think our beliefs are us. In reality, our beliefs are not us. I have a book coming out with the working title, Consciousness Engineering. And the book is basically about this idea that what makes you you is the sum total of your collective beliefs and your habits. We call beliefs your models of reality. We call your habits your systems for living. Now, the problem with people is many people, what they believe as their model of reality It wasn't taken on by rational choice. They were indoctrinated as children. A large chunk of what we believe to be true about the world, phrases such as, I'm a woman, so I'm good at different things from a man, or success equals hard work, or a college degree is necessary. None of these were defined through rational thought. It was taken on through, according to the scientist Paul Marston, memetics and social conditioning. In short, to help us understand the world, rather than try to figure it out which can get complex we simply imitate like lemons so everyone who joins mind valley who joins your tribe or your company has their own beliefs they come from childhood indoctrination they come from religion they come from culture they come from you know the circumstances that that person grew and evolved into but the thing is the beliefs do not make them your beliefs are swappable so what i teach is that if the human being it's viewed as, as an operating system, okay? Think about your iPhone. You have your operating system on your phone or your computer. Now, if you wanted to upgrade your computer, there are two things you do. Number one, you'd get better hardware. You may swap out a smaller hard drive and stick in a, a high-speed, higher, larger hard drive with a bigger capacity. That's hardware. That's a hardware upgrade. Or you may upgrade your software by downloading a new app or a new version of your software. Now, the human being is like that. In your human operating system, your beliefs are like your hardware. You can swap out bad beliefs, swap in good beliefs. And likewise, your habits are your software. You can always upgrade and download new habits, like apps. Mm. So the first thing to realize is that you can change people's beliefs. So for example, a lot of people come into the company, and one of the things that they believe is that to to be successful, I need to work 70, 80-hour weeks, or that you cannot have friendly relationships with your coworkers. I believe those are false beliefs. So we create a culture that helps involve their beliefs. For example, we make it very clear during indoctrination. Sorry, it's not indoctrination, induction. (laughs) That sounded cultish. During induction, that, that it's perfectly okay to ask your manager out for a drink or for dinner. We make sure that it is perfectly okay to work 50 hours a week, and that's okay and that hard work isn't what is going to get you recognized here. So, you know, new people who join Mind Valley, we actually give them a quiz that analyzes their beliefs in 20 different areas. And when you look at this quiz, you cannot really tell what is right or what is wrong. For example, a sample belief over there is, I feel comfortable asking for a raise from my direct superior. Another mm-hmm. belief is, my idea should always be listened to. Now, is that right or is that wrong? We don't know, right? Mm-hmm. And the answer is, there is no right or wrong. There's simply the way it is within our culture. Now, based on the quiz, they then go for a lunch with our HR director and an HR director will tell them, will inform them if there were any beliefs that they might find surprising. So for example, a lot of people would rank that they are not comfortable asking for a raise, but in our culture, we believe that's an open conversation and anyone should be allowed to do that. You know, So the HR director will then educate them on a new belief, and show them how to go about, say, asking for a race. So we are helping people see that their beliefs do make up their reality, but their reality is moldable. It's, it's shapeable. All they have to do is learn to believe something new and then give them a rational, empirical, logical way to take on that new belief. I just want to give an example of what I mean by a, rag- a logical, empirical, rational way to help people take on a new belief a lot of people from the corporate world might come to us or from the advertising agencies might come to us believing that they are going to have to work a 70-hour week. I believe that's unhealthy. So how do we change that belief? Well, we enforce a system in Valley where we let people know that they can work anytime they want. It's flexi time. They can choose to take holidays anytime they want as long as it's agreed upon by their team. And we even have a system where every Friday, the first Friday of every month is learn day. And no one is required to do any work. In fact, what you want them to do is to sit down and read a book and upgrade their systems or their ideas about their job. So someone from customer support, for example, might read Tony Say's book on uh, delivering happiness. Mm. So this allows people to see that, wow, they are utterly, completely different ways of viewing the world at work.
0: Yeah. Okay. So bringing all of that back, like, what can you do if it's just you and your co-founder? Or it's just you as a solopreneur. What what can you do to, I guess, when you're ready to bring on people to your team? What are some, like you've got, we've, we've got the belief system. You know, I know you guys have the bar of awesomeness. You hire for attitude, train for skill. You've got all these other things. Like what are the most important things when you bring on your first, your first hire?
1: So the most important thing when you're bringing on your first hire is making sure that they, firstly, have the right shared beliefs about the world. Because if they don't, you're gonna face problems. Now, what I mean by the right shared beliefs, and this is why I think it's actually a great idea to hire your your first hire from the same university or the same city and so on. So the right shared beliefs might be, well, if this was mind value, every company is gonna have a different different idea, right? Mm -hmm. But if it's for mind value, Mm -hmm. it's a passion for self-exploration and personal growth. So a lot of the first few people I hired they joined us because they loved the idea of spreading meditation. Hmm. And that core that belief united us. So you must have beliefs that unite you. And it could be a passion for what it is you're delivering, or a belief of how the world should work, or a belief in terms of how an office should function, that those shared beliefs function like glue, to make sure your culture is healthy. And it helps see the key ideas that will later cause your culture to expand. See, here's the funny thing, right? It is not about right or wrong beliefs. Rather, it's about alignment. It's not about if you have a belief that personal growth is the optimal path to happiness, or if you have a belief that you should work hard, or work 100-hour weeks, or work 50-hour weeks. That's not important. What is important is alignment. You need to make sure that the beliefs are aligned. When the beliefs are aligned, you create culture. You can shape values. You can decide your company edge and you can decide aspects of your culture that you want to use to attract more talent. Mm-hmm. But there is no right or wrong. If you look at Elon Musk and SpaceX, it's about crazy long work hours and people love it. If you look at companies such as Semco in Brazil by the amazing Ricardo Semler, it's about giving you know factory workers flexi time and letting them work whenever they want. And people love it there is no right or wrong. But what all these companies have in common is they have a set core of beliefs that people come into and they are united by these beliefs.
0: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really starting to get it now. Cause I was coming to be honest, I was coming at it like, okay, I'm going to speak to Vision. He's got this amazing company. He's going to share with us all these tactics and strategies. And, and I watched like some of your, like your other videos and talks you've done and we've got, you've got stuff like, you know, culture days and, And, you know, high, slow, fire, quick, and the oath of awesomeness and all these interesting things. And you're saying pretty much that as long as the beliefs are aligned, you can set the rules and you can have all that your own kind of tactics and strategies, right? Absolutely. Okay. Awesome. Well, I have a question, like when it comes to still like uh, hiring, do you think people should never accept resumes like you guys?
1: No, we look at resumes. We've just found that resumes can be a um, resumes can be an awful way of hiring because everyone lies on their resume to some degree. Everyone, and sometimes those lies can be fairly high. So what happened recently is we had an employee in Malaysia uh, in our finance department, and he was a key employee. He was from the corporate industry, and he was, uh, you know, I thought he I thought he was decently smart. But it turned out he had been stealing from the company for four months and we had to fire him. Oh, wow. And when I we went back and looked at his resume, I realized that our company had made a mistake. The company he had listed in his resume was fake, it didn't really exist. And other aspects of his resume were also fake. And now, when we fired him, he continued on his LinkedIn profile, on his Angelist profile, stating that he worked for Mind Valley and that he was a leader and a visionary within the company and that he was our, our operations director. And all of that is also fake because, frankly, he was a guy we had to fire because we caught him stealing. But you see what happened over there. He lied on his resume. After being fired, he continued lying on his resume. And some other poor company is going to hire this man. So resumes are a very unreliable source of getting the right talent. So what we decided to do was we decided to have people who are applying to Mind Valley apply via a video cover letter. Now, this did a couple of things, right? As soon as we decided to ask for video cover letters, the number of random applications plummeted from 200 for a position, you know, in a week to 20. But these 20 would create a video cover letter and they had to answer two questions, why they feel they are awesome and why they'd like to join Mindvalley. And let me tell you, it's so much harder to lie in a video cover letter because we can see your body language, we can see your, your, your style of dialogue, we can see your confidence, we can see that spark of passion in your eyes. And we've had people who have spent, I think the record was 300 man hours creating their video cover letter. Now, of course I hired that person because anyone who was smart and spent 300 man hours creating that video cover letter, I know they had passion for the company. They've done research on us and they really wanted to join. That lady, Gloria, was one of my best ever hires. So, you see, we found that video cover letters became a self-eviction mechanism. It would help us evict bad applicants right on the onset because because it was so much harder to fake it on a video cover letter. Now, that said, video cover letters are very millennial type device. So we make it clear when we're hiring senior people that they do not need a video coverlet, but they would have to come in, meet me, and go through multiple rounds of interviews on values, culture, their beliefs, their passions around the world, and, and their credentials.
0: Mm, I see. So you don't, you don't recommend it as a best practice?
1: Well, it depends on per department. For a technology department, we don't ask for video cover letters. We give people a coding test. For our marketing ad-buying department, we give people an advertising test. For our customer support department, video cover letters are essential.
0: Ah, I see, because it shows their personality. Yeah. Awesome. So also when it comes to attracting talent, you, you guys have hire parties and stuff like that. Is that still going and stuff?
1: We used to do that. We used to do that. We'd toss a party. We'd give all our employees uh, an extra ticket to invite the most brilliant person they know. And they would invite you know, their friends. And then sometimes we'd have these friends join our company. We don't do that anymore. We, have a, um, we, we might do it again. But right now, we have enough applicants coming through a through YouTube channel and so on that we've not really had to do that. But it certainly is a very good tactic for a company that's just starting out and making a name for itself.
0: Mm, Yeah, no, I, cause I, cause I watched your video and I was just like, this is killer. Like you, you're the king of culture hacking. So I, I wanted to ask you also like when you're just starting, do you believe you should you base yourself in a co-working space or get your own office space? Cause I know you guys have that like, crazy. Like you've got the, uh, you've got the steampunk area. Like what are your thoughts on, on that environment?
1: Environment is not as important as culture. Like I said, I don't want people to fall into the mistake of thinking that they have to create a Google-like office. I created a beautiful steampunk office because to me, design is extremely important. What is a place to get inspired? But also the guys working in our steampunk office are working on a new technology we are launching for education. And a key aspect of that technology is the user interface and the design. So I wanted to give them a place that inspired them to think, design, and aesthetics. But again, it is not important unless that is a key aspect of your value. One of my values is to always be surrounded by beauty. I'm just a guy who appreciates art, who appreciates colors, who appreciates you know beautiful surroundings. So I feel inspired when I'm in beauty. And I wanted to give that same gift to my staff and the people whom, who work with me. But it isn't a requirement for great culture. The most important thing for great culture is that you guys have healthy shared beliefs and healthy shared habits
0: yeah okay gotcha yeah you're really hammering this down okay another question around i'd like to ask is around leadership you know what are your because you're you're an amazing leader and you you're a visionary and you come up with these crazy ideas and, and you get your team to help you roll them out and like what are your like top two top three pieces of advice around being being a great leader
1: oh you know what Here's the thing that is, is hardest about defining leadership, right? Leadership is, is means so many different things to so many people. But I can tell you that when I was 19 years old, I was student body president at my college. Mm. And I remember my favorite quote on leadership came from Dwight Eisenhower. A leader is someone who makes people do things he wants to do because they want to do it. Now, let's think about that for a moment. That's sort of implying that as a leader, your job is to get people to do things you want done and kind of inspire them to do it. And there's nothing wrong with that, but that could also be bad. That could be the kind of leadership that could drive, say, a political leader to make a million people sign up for a dumb war. Mm. As I've grown up, realized that that isn't leadership, and that leadership today needs a really different definition. So at Mind Valley, we define leadership this way: Our leadership quote. And it's the mantra that all our managers has is this a leader is someone who recognizes that everyone they lead is as powerful as them, as brilliant as them, and can have the same capacity to shine. They simply need to be reminded of this fact. Mm-hmm. So the idea here is that at Mind Valley, a leader is someone who grows the people they are leading. They're helping those people evolve, those people grow, these, those people get to the next level. And that really is the core leadership mantra within our company.
0: Mm, yeah, no, I love it. That's actually something that someone, like one of my mentors shared with me. He said, because um, he, he told me how you know, one of his employees was doing all these crazy things, and, and I was like, how do you get them to do that? And he's like, you just find out what they want and you give it to them. Would you agree with that?
1: No, I, I think that's very simplistic.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: So so what you're asking is how do you lead someone? How do you motivate them? Is yeah. that what you're saying? Okay. Well, here's what we do. We call it the three most important questions. And there's a video I did of this exercise that's on YouTube that's received almost a quarter million views. You see the mistake that most people make in the world is that they don't really know what they want. They decide their goals based on social conditioning. They decide That they want to be a lawyer or, you know, they want to uh, have that particular car or they want to get that next promotion in a job, even though they absolutely hate the job. Now, these are called means goals. These are goals that society tells us we need to achieve. But often means goals are nothing more than just made up bullshit. What really makes us happy? What really is the end of human existence? Uh, sorry, the, the, the end result of living a great life are end goals. And end goals are the goals that really, you know, make our soul sing. Goals such as being really happy with the person you love or working in a place that gives you meaning or being able to live in a gorgeous home or being able to be an amazing mom or dad to two wonderful kids. Those are end goals. So we do an exercise with our employees where we help them define their end goals. And end goals fall into three different buckets. Okay. There are experiences, mm-hmm. growth, and contribution. So experiences are things such as being a parent, uh, being in love, traveling around the world, writing a book. Growth goals are things such as learning the public speak, learning coding. And these growth goals are never should never be something that you want to learn so you can get somewhere else. It should be something that if you did it, it gives you meaning and happiness in itself. Learning, public speaking, because you love owning the stage and you and you want to, and you have so much joy sharing your, your, your ideas. So it has to be an end goal. Now, all of these lead to the other. Once you know the experiences you want in life and how you want to grow, the next question you ask yourself is how do you want to give back to the world? And that's called contribution. That's the third bucket. Now, in our company, everyone, when they join Valley during the induction period, I take them through an exercise where they write down their experiences, how they want to grow, how they want to contribute to the world. And then we take this and we stick it on a wall, on a giant wall, and everyone in the company, hundreds of people, get to see each other's goals. Oh, and wow. the beauty about this is it's like having a blueprint into someone's soul. You start to really know what it means to, to, you really start to know what drives your co-worker and what happens is when they write this down, the first thing they do is they come and leave it on my desk. So I'm sitting at my desk right now with a newest batch of hires, they've left their, their goals on my desk. I'm reading the goals of a new hire called Clement. And I can see that under experiences, he wants to spend seven days in the Brazilian Atlantic rainforest under growth. He wants to better feel and understand people from other cultures and religions, especially Islam, Hinduism, and Buddhism, under contribution. He wants to help educate and inspire other people to wake up from the modern matrix, wake up from ignorance, become more aware and brave. Now, you see, by knowing this about Clement, I get to understand the man he is. I get to understand how we can create an environment that can help him attain his goals, that can help him grow. So this really is a blueprint to the people's souls so and our managers at Mindvalley, what they do is they go out for lunch with the new hires and they, you know, with this paper discuss how they can help craft the most meaningful, beautiful growth experience for these hires. It's a beautiful practice. And, um, you can, you can search for three most important questions. You'll find the video on YouTube. You can do the exercise in the video and you can embed it in your magazine.
0: Yeah, no, that is, that is, that's is fantastic. Look, um, we have to work towards wrapping up. I just have one last question, and that is around you know the goals piece. Because I watched another video that, that has sat with me. You know, I watched it a couple of years ago, and that you that I saw on YouTube, and it really sat with me around goals, and that we're always chasing the next big thing, and the goalposts keep changing. And you you recommend to measure it backwards. Can you just touch on that?
1: Absolutely. So basically, to move towards your goals. You have to recognize that you cannot tie your happiness to your goals. This is called the paradox of intention. And it basically states that, that your happiness cannot be tied to your goal. It must come before you attain your goal. In other words, you must live life finding happiness in the journey. If you decide that you want to be the most amazing public speaker in the world, but if that becomes your goal and you are telling yourself that I'm only going to be happy when I get there, The whole process of getting there, going for public speaking training classes, rehearsing on stage, joining a group like Toastmasters, it's going to be unbearable for you because you'll never be able to wait till the end. Mm. But if you start to connect your happiness to the journey, seeing the learning aspects, the growth, the failure, as all beautiful experiences, you are more likely to reach your goal sooner. And there's evidence for this. There's evidence that shows that happiness creates better performance. In in the book, The Happiness Advantage by Sean Aker, Mm -hmm. Sean, um, the study after the study that shows that salespeople who are optimistic perform 55% better. Doctors who are primed to be positive make better diagnoses. Children who are primed to be more optimistic before a test do better in their exams. Happiness leads to productivity. So you got to remember that you got to tie your happiness to the journey and not the destination.
0: Awesome. Well, look. um, We'll work towards wrapping up there. Just, just one last piece. Where's the best place people can find you?
1: The best place to find me is to go to visionlakiani.com. V-I-S-H-E-N-L-A-K-H-I-A-N-I. The best, the better way is to follow me on Facebook. I am incredibly active and I share amazing content on Facebook. So just search for Vision Lakiani and give me a follow.
0: Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview.